I think, Jacob, that was better than the first time I heard it. Just increasingly getting better. I, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but we had a songwriting contest. And every few weeks, the people that participated in it will be sharing it with our congregation. And I got to say, um, there's so much talent. Everybody's so talented. Um, and it's amazing just to hear. And I'm so happy that they can bless us with their music and their song of praise. So the next one, I think, will be in a, in, in a few weeks. Uh, right? Was it? Did we already hear three? Two? Okay, so we have two more left. Before I go on to the message, um, I just wanted to say that we are going to have a fire drill. We've never had a fire drill ever since I was here. I don't, I don't know, ever since I was here. So um, we're going to have a fire drill right after service. Um, you're going to all exit. If you're here in this room, you're going to all exit through these doors on my right and your left. And there are stairs right out this hallway. When you go down the stairs, you'll just go into the picnic area, wait like two minutes, and then we can come back up for refreshments. Uh, we're going to block the driveways and the parking lot because people will be walking around. So we do ask that you be patient um, and follow the instructions. People who will know what's going on will have this red hat. That's why I have a red hat. It's so embarrassing. I feel like, I feel like a five-year-old kid or someone who's trying to act like a five-year-old kid, but I'll have that hat, and whoever, if you need instructions, um, you know, you can find the people with the red hat. If you have children or small children, all the ministries will be exiting. And the thing about our ministry is we'll be exiting into the picnic area where all the children will also be, so you don't have to worry about looking for your children before. But I do ask that after the fire drill, we're going to come back up, and we're going to have refreshments and fellowship, so I invite you to do so and have it with us. There's a lot of exciting stuff going on in our ministry and in our church, and it's always good to have people come and visit us um, doing special songs, but next week is especially special because we have um, a friend of mine, a missionary from the UK coming to visit us. His name is Ben Jack. He came maybe... Um, a year ago, I think, and he shared a small testimony, but he's going to come from London, and he's going to share a message with us next week, so that's very special. I hope that you can come and also invite your friends to come. Um, I always thought his name was weird. It's like, what kind of name is Ben Jack? Why is your last name a first name? Then I realized my name is Eugene Kim, so I had nothing to say to him to that, um, but he is a good friend of mine. And I'm so happy to have him share the message with us. I will also be leading praise. So I'm going to dust off my guitar and lead praise. I thank all the worship leaders for letting this has been like sing. But it's going to be exciting. I hope it's good. But anyway, if you have any complaints, please direct all of them to Pastor Esther. And I do have one more thing I wanted to share before we go on to the message. Uh, it's less than a year. Uh, it's almost been a year, but um, less, it's less than a year. Sarah has been deployed to Kuwait. 
and she has come back. I just wanted to recognize her and welcome her back. Sarah, could you just stand up? <laughs> Sarah goes way back, uh, even to youth group, when I was that really uh, terrible pastor yelling at all the praise team members. Uh, but you know, now, now she's deployed in Kuwait and she made it back to us safely. Praise God for that, and we're so happy you're back with us. Um, we're going to go on and continue on with Genesis, and we're going to do the part two of the flood. And the part two, I'm going to call it the covenant part two, but I have three points, and it's very similar to part one, and that is number one is holy wrath, number two is remembrance, and number three is the covenant. So holy wrath, remembrance, and the covenant. You know, what really is devastating about this flood, and if we can continue to not see it as a children's story, is that the flood was terrible. It was devastating. It wiped life off of this earth. And we need to see it not just as some kind of fairy tale where you see a boat floating in the water, but there was massive death. And this is the wrath of God come upon humanity. The wrath of God being exercised throughout the earth. Gustave Doré uh, drew an illustration, um, and this is up here. If you can see it, uh, he drew maybe three or a couple of these of the flood. And uh, if you can look at it, this is, the, this is his interpretation of the devastation. If you just think about it. As the waters rose, people had nowhere to go. They had no place to hang on to. And you can see, even on the bottom right, a father is holding on to his child. And as he's drowning, he's trying to push the child up so that the child can get a few last gasps of air. And then you see people trying to cling on to that rock, but there obviously isn't enough room in the rock. And you see even the tiger holding on to her cubs, making sure that they have room. But in the end, we do know that life was wiped out in the earth because of the flood. And, we, and um, almost every major religion has a flood story in the past, and um, especially the Babylonian one. The Enuma Elish talks about a flood as well. There has, there has to have been something so traumatic that every single religion in the world remembers this as a devastating time on this earth. And the Bible talks about the flood as well. And in this, the Bible is showing us that God was so displeased that he wiped out the earth. Now, this is a concept that is not just unfamiliar with us in our culture today, but it's a concept that a lot of people don't want to accept saying, I don't want to believe that God could do something so terrible. How can God allow such a thing to happen? Isn't God a God of love? Isn't God a God who's a God of mercy, like Pastor Eugene talks about almost every week, about grace? And how can God let this happen? But when you're a kid, now we watch movies like Disney. I love Disney. Uh, especially when I was growing up, I loved watching Disney movies. It's, it's very toned down. It's very nice. It makes you go away with nice feelings. 
But if you were a kid back in the 1940s, you would have seen this. You, there, there, you would read Brothers Grimm. Uh, it didn't end like Disney movies. You knew that if you were wicked, there were consequences. And this is what the kind of picture kind of showed. And it's almost like a foreign concept now uh, in our culture that if you do something wicked, a consequence would come. But I am trying to show now that that is actually not too foreign for us to really understand. Two weeks ago, I did share that if God, if you can imagine God as a, a, a mass, right, and you went against God at a force, then you would hit God, and who do you think would win? And this is also shown in Newton's third law, where every action has an equal and opposite reaction. So if you go against God, you hit God, who do you think would win? This is what it means to have justice. But this is such a weird concept for us to really understand. But then once you go out into the world, you see that people long for justice. People want justice in the world. People want justice to be done. And last week we had powerful testimonies that were shared and given, not just by Pastor Esther, but also by Andrew and Angela. And you see that this horrific thing still is going on in the world today, where people are being captured, where people are being kidnapped, being forced into slave labor, sex trade. Those people, when they cry out to God, what do you think they are crying out for? They are crying out for justice. And if God grants them justice, what do you think that means? Does it mean that he just lets them go free? There's a, there's a story that Ravi Zacharias tells, and um, he gets this question a lot. And he says, um, he gets this phone call. And the phone call is always about, you know, how can God do this unjust thing? It's very similar. How can God just arbitrarily kill some people off, save some people? is isn't kind of arbitrary. And then he said this. He said, can I ask you a question? On every university campus I visit, someone stands up and says that God is an evil God to allow all this evil in our world. This person typically says a plane crashes, 30 people die, and 20 people live. What kind of a God would arbitrarily choose some to live and some to die? I continued. But when, we pray, when, but when we play God and determine whether a child within a mother's womb should live, we argue for that as a moral right. So when human beings are given the privilege of playing God, it's called a moral right. When God plays God, we call it an immoral act. Can you justify this for me? That was the end of the conversation. After that, they hung up, she hung up the phone. This goes into a very deep issue. When we decide something is right and we decide it for ourselves, we don't judge ourselves. But when we see God doing certain things and to us it seems arbitrary, then we start judging God and saying he is immoral. This really brings up to the crux of our attitude against the creator. If you remember who we are, who are we? We are the dust of the earth. 
We were created from the ground, breathed life into by God. And we have the audacity to stand up against him and say, I don't like what you are doing. I'm going to go against you. I'm going to live whatever way I want and whatever I deem to be right and wrong, that is right and wrong. What is that? That is saying, I am God. I get to play what's right and wrong. I want to discern for myself what is good and bad. That is us playing God. That is the biggest sin. This is when God acts in uh, the Bible and he decides to flood the world. And it is a horrific, tragic flood. When you continue to go against God, there is only one outcome left. When we continue to say, I want to do it the way I want to do it, I don't care if it doesn't make any sense or logic or reason outside of what I truly believe it is, what we are saying is, I reject whatever you propose and I want to live the way I want to. That is why many people say that God really doesn't send anybody to hell. People send themselves. And that saying is there because, you see, every time Jesus talks about hell in the Bible, we never see a picture of people climbing out saying, please save me. That's what you might imagine, right? Hell is so terrible. Hell is so bad. Why don't you want to get out? But no one else, no one is climbing out. In fact, when he shares a story about Lazarus and the rich man, the rich man is the person that says to Abraham, I am dying of thirst. I'm so thirsty. Why don't you send Lazarus to me? Dip his finger in water so that he could put it on my tongue because I'm in excruciating pain. You see, right across this barrier, there is eternal life. There is heaven, there is glory, there is all goodness. And yet, the rich man doesn't even want that. That's not an option. He'd rather have Lazarus sent to him to put his finger in water and dip it on his tongue. Even in hell, the rich man thought he was better than Lazarus. What we have to remember is that when we approach this topic, we are still dust. From dust we came, and to dust we shall return. Anything that we've given in between is grace. But you see, God just doesn't stop there. If God took everything that I had, and all the sins that I've committed, and I could make excuses, hey, I am not a sex traitor, right? I don't participate in slavery. I didn't shoot and kill anybody. And yet, if I really look deep down in my life, I know that if I really am honest with myself, if I didn't do it with God, then I did it for myself. I did it for selfish reasons. I did it so that I would receive glory I did it so that I can ease my conscience. Everything was about me. 
And if I continue to live out eternally, that gets more and more extreme. The degrees of my actions become even greater. And so if I didn't do it out of love for that other person, then I did it for me. So I only help you when you help me, right? So if you spit at me, what reason do I have to be nice to you? If you disrespect me, why in the world would I respect you back? And yet Jesus says, if someone slaps you on your left cheek, then turn to him the other cheek. I'm sorry, it was the right cheek. The right cheek, then turn to him the other cheek. It's, oh, it's, I have to remember. But it's, it's, it's actually pretty intriguing because when he says right cheek, uh, how do you get your right cheek slapped? Because most people are righties. So if most people are righties, if you got slapped on your right cheek, if you think about it, they didn't do some maneuvering like karate chop you the other way. What they did was they probably backhanded you, which was a very disrespectful slap. If someone backhands you, he is saying, turn to him the other cheek. That's incredible. Like who's going to do that? What motivation do I have to do that? What motivation do I have to forgive my captors, the people who have oppressed me, the people who are continually doing wicked things in this earth? What motivation do I have? Honestly, without God, I do not have any. That is my testimony. And so when we, as dust of the earth, we realize that we are dust, that we need to look to the Creator that is what we are doing when we say, God, I submit myself to you. Continue to teach me. That is why we hold this as authority. Not our own feelings. Not what we see culture moving at the time. Because culture will change. You know, scientific evidence will change. But you know what doesn't change? This doesn't change. By the way, scientific evidence meaning we find more and more about certain topics and most recently, I was talking with some of our elders-to-be about the John Hopkins 143-page report about homosexuality not being genetic, and that blew people's minds. But I believe it's a continuing study, not for people to lord it over each other or to say, look, you're an idiot, but to really be able to have a love for the other person, to understand and have compassion even more. So if anything, this study should show that no matter what someone is going through, we should have compassion for them. Um, and so, if you realize this, then we are astounded by this. God remembers us. Even through all the terrible things that are going on, that we have done, that we have not done as well, the good that we haven't done, God remembers Noah in this story. And when he remembers Noah, he lets the rain stop and the floods start to subside. You know, remember in the Hebrew word isn't just to recall being like, oh, it's not like God forgot. It's like, oh, you know, in all my anger, I totally forgot. There's this little boat. Let me save it. That's not to remember. Remember, if you continue to look throughout the Bible and all the Hebrew occurrences of remember, is to act upon a previous commitment to a covenant partner. Remember, is to act upon a previous commitment to a covenant partner. Remember, in part one, there was a covenant that was given between him and Noah. So God 
remembers. That's why when we say, if you're a husband and wife, remember the partner of your youth. If you're a husband, remember your wife before you lust. If you're a wife, remember your husband before you go astray. Remember doesn't mean, oh, I totally forgot about my wife. I totally forgot about my husband. It's to recall the covenant that you made with your partner and God remembers the covenant, he honors the covenant, and he saves them. He saves Noah. He saves his chosen people. And what he does is he says, I'm going to make you, I'm going to make you for you a rainbow as a sign of the covenant. And this has kind of been lost in our generation. We think of rainbows and what do you think of? Unicorns. I don't know. Recently, because of some commercials, I think of unicorns and ice cream. That's bad. But, and we think of rainbows. We think of happy things. But if you think about it, a bow is a weapon. So I brought with me a toy. It's not a weapon, but it, it, is, it is a bow. It's supposed to be this bow. And if you, if you see, a bow is a weapon of war. It's not just to give you happy feelings. It's not just to give you warm feelings. Oh, look at this nice rainbow. But it was supposed to have you remember there was destruction on this earth. There was wrath that was given. And God set the rainbow to remind us that this happened, but it will never happen again. A bow is a weapon of war. They didn't have guns back then, but if I figure if, maybe if there were guns back then, it might have been a gun. It might have been a gun to show that this is a devastating weapon. This is not a devastating weapon. This is just a replica. But if you think about it, this, take it out of this quiver. Um, I thought of a superhero name for myself, and I thought I would call myself Bowman. Bowman. Such a cool name, right? Um, I, don't know, I, I think people are coming, uh, like running out of superhero names. So I think there's a superhero named Archer. I'm like, what is that? I'm going to call myself Bowman. And like, there's another superhero. His name will be like Waterman or something like that, you know? Like, uh, but in this, if I were to extend my bow and I were to aim it at somebody and I shoot it, the arrow would fly. Arrow would fly and it would pierce his target. This is a weapon of war. But if you think about it, how does the rainbow look? It doesn't look like this. And it doesn't look like this. It looks like this. If a rainbow looks like this, what is the covenant saying? If we continue to sin, God has to bring justice. That's who we are and that's who he is. He needs to bring justice because God is a God of justice. But when he set the rainbow, what is the covenant that he's giving us? He is saying that I will keep my promise to you and the justice now. When we extend the bow, where does it strike? It doesn't strike the earth. And the covenant is to show us that God sent his only son to us because when we sin and when we deserve destruction, God set his bow and he pulled the arrow back, and when he released it, it struck his son, and he died for us so that we wouldn't have to die. And we have salvation because of him. You know, the colors in the rainbow are a refraction of white light. When light is refracted, that's why we get all these colors. What do you think that is? That is a tearing up of a light so that we can actually see color. 
You know, if light isn't refracted from our lenses, we don't see any color. We see the medium. The light has to go through a medium, like a prism. And then once it goes out, it's refracted. That's why we see color. If you truly want to see light, if you want to receive light, you need a medium to refract that light so that we can, pos- we can honestly see. And we see because of Jesus, our eyes are open. He is the medium. Every single part of this rainbow points to Jesus Christ. And we are to give our lives to him because if we truly want justice in this world, he is the one that will bring it because he took all the suffering. He took all the evil. He took all the sin upon himself. But he did not stay dead. He rose again. Death couldn't hold him. The grave could not keep him. And that is why we say, if you believe in Jesus' name, you and your family will be saved. This is the covenant that is given to us, and God keeps it. How can God keep from destroying the world when we deserve destruction? Because he took that destruction upon himself, and he died for us. That is the invitation we have when we see that rainbow across the sky to believe in Jesus Christ so that we can be saved, so that we can be free, so that we can live the way we were created to be. You know, when Noah goes out of the ark, God gives the same commandment again. Be fruitful, be multiply. He wants us to be fruitful. He wants us to multiply. He wants us to flourish. But because of sin, that holds us back. That's why now we have the opportunity to pray to Him and offer up our lives to Him and surrender ourselves to Him. Let's do that at this time. And as the Holy Spirit convicts you, offer up your heart to Him. Every single part. What is it in your life, in your heart, that you have been holding back But God says, give it to me. Put it at the foot of the cross. And I will heal. I will take upon myself this destructive thing that you have done so that you can be free, so that you can be healed. And watch me. I will make you new. I will do in you a new thing, make you a new creation. Let's pray. Lord, we offer up our lives to you. We know that you have given your life for us. And Lord, we know that when we were first created, we were created to be in relationship with you, to have communion with you, to spend eternity with you. 
but we also admit that every time we sin, we were rebelling against our Creator. And so we repent now. We turn from those ways, the ways that made you blasphemed, the ways that put you down when we tried to push up ourselves as God. We turn from those ways and we acknowledge, Lord, that Jesus, you are God and that we need you in every moment, in every part of our lives. So, Lord, hear our cries, hear our prayers. Receive our hearts unto you at this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.